0: Thanks again Felicity. listening, and uh, if it did feel a little overwhelming, hopefully now as we look at it, uh, it makes more sense. But it's actually a passage that's highly relevant, uh, especially relevant in the weeks that's just gone by. I don't know how much your life is tied to the share market, um, but if it's not tied to the share market, then we're certainly told the house prices are on the fall, um, that leads to general social instability. we know that our jobs are on the line, there's just so many things at the moment that could give us a sense of, will there be enough in life ahead and really, that's, it's, it's, it's the drive of advertising, but it's a much more fundamental issue that we all sort of live with. Will I be sure that next week I have enough? Yeah. Uh, we have periods of time where it might be more superficial. My car's not new enough. My house isn't big enough. Uh, my pay packet, uh, I, there's a friend of mine who has this great little line. He says, you know, no matter how hard you try, there just always seems to be a little bit of month left at the end of the money. Um, and it's so true. <laughs> it's easy to feel the desire for more and it's funny how easily someone can grab it I had this experience a few years ago I was uh, on the train, I got on, it was pretty busy and this lovely guy um, just took his bag, moved it off the seat and offered the place to sit there and so I did, and he was really sociable and we struck up a conversation I'm about halfway through the conversation I had this moment, where I go you know what, I reckon I'm being evangelised here mm-hmm. I just, you know that sensation, you know? And sure enough, I was being evangelised. I think he wasn't a a Christian evangelist. This was a financial evangelist. (laughs) He apparently had, he and his friends worked together to, uh, I don't know, a pyramid scheme or what it was, but he was trying to convince me that um, I should become part of his little crew doing this financial activity. And his his winning line, the, the line that sort of did just catch my imagination for just a moment was, what would you do if you had additional steady income what would you do if you had just that bit more? And it's a striking how my imagination you know, immediately lights up. I know the things in my own mind that I could spend on if I had just that bit more. We spend most of our time thinking, maybe we just don't have enough. And yet, uh, we don't know the half of it. We live in a society with this overabundance of stuff. I don't know if you watched the ABC's War on Waste, but apparently uh, Australians spend $8 billion a year, uh, thro- th- 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 sorry, we throw away $8 billion a year worth of edible food. And that is not from shopping centres and restaurants, that's, that's additional, this is merely from our own homes. $8 billion, edible food. In comparison, the, the time we're reading about in the Bible, this is all subsistence farmers. These are people who really don't know where the next meal may necessarily come from. For them, a drought wasn't just that they had to take short of showers. A drought brought into question whether I would have food on the table tomorrow for my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, a larger block of land, that wasn't just for the kids to kick around a, a football. That was in order that I could produce more food, that I could sustain more people, that I could produce extra income.
1: Much more than us,
0: the Israelites would have longed for a world where there was always enough. And that's the setting for today's passage. Because if you notice that Genesis 13, Genesis 14, they're both about lack of that. In Genesis 13, the land isn't sufficient to feed Abraham and Lot's family. And in chapter 14, the nations that Lot is living aren't enough to defeat the incoming powers the, the local tribal leaders um, who are attacking and taking their stuff. And the question behind it all is, how is Abel going to handle this? What difference will it make in his life if he has God's blessing? Will that be enough? And the answer is yes. Because God's promise is more than enough. God's promise is more than enough. So we're going to see that God promises abundant prosperity he promises abundant security, and so God was enough. God was enough for Abram, God was enough for Israel, and He's also enough for us. How about I pray, and we'll head into the passage. Heavenly Father, please help us to see that You are enough. Help us to see the abundance of Your promises, and therefore be able to put our confidence in You in a world that would have us longing for something extra. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so open your Bible. I'm not going to read every verse, but we're certainly going to be looking at how the story unfolds. And you want to go to Genesis 13, where we see God's promises abundant prosperity. Uh, So chapter 13 begins, it's in a better place than the end of chapter 12. Remember last week, uh, there was a famine. Uh, Abram abandoned the promises, he went down to Egypt. Now he's back. He's left Egypt, he's returned to the place where God promised him. He would prosper. And so verses 1 to 2 remind us that even when he was disobeying God, God kept his promise. Because Abram has arrived back in the land blessed. He's richer than he left. Verses 3 and 4, we also see that Abram, on the other hand, is now back with the program. He's he's back in the promised land and he's worshipping God, which is great. Because then in verses 5 to 8... His prosperity is what leads to crisis. Uh, Lot and Abram are both wealthy, but they're still man's Verse 7, a reminder, they don't own the land. The uh, Canaanites and the Perizzites, they're, they're the ones who own the land. And so yes, Abram is wealthy, but God hasn't given him everything he promised yet. Abram doesn't have the land, so how should he respond? How should he respond? And what you get is two men. Both of them lift their eyes, but they look in different places. Have a look at it. Verse 10, Lot looks up in the original language. Literally, he lifts his eyes, and he sees land. So he, he looks across um, this valley that leads to the Jordan River. It's, it's as good as Egypt, which we think Egypt these days we think desert. But of course, this is back in the time where it's the fruit basket of the known world. They export food from Egypt because they have a, a river that's always watering the land. They're always prosperous. It's a good place to be. And so this, this Jordan River Valley, it's as good as Egypt. And Lot sees that, and he doesn't see the problems, does he? We see it as readers at verse 10, where we're told that the cities will be destroyed. And if you know what the story is, you know that's... sign of things to come. If that didn't catch your attention by verse 13 we're told the cities are sinful and wicked. We get the sense that this is a bad decision that this is a temporary but Lot, he's looking at the land, and he chooses what he thinks is the best option. In contrast verse 14 Abram lifts his eyes God tells him to lift his eyes. See the promise. God tells Abram to to look around, look to the north and south, and the east and the west, to look across a vast distance, as far as his eyes can see. He is to look and see something huge that God has in store for him. Not something that's realized now, but a promise of things to come. And in fact, it's not just to look at it. Verses 17 and 18, he's actually to, to wander about the land and, as it were, savour the promise. God tells Abram to uh, travel around and see the extent of what God is promising him. Uh, it reminds me of uh, a few years ago when I was saving up for my first iPad. This is still my first iPad. But it was this thing I promised and I kept thinking, oh, do, I just, do I just go the cheaper option? I can afford that now or do I keep saving? And so what I had to keep doing was going to the shop and i go, go and i just have a look at an iPad. I'd have a bit of a fiddle with it. Just, just remind myself exactly what it was that I was promising him. Savour the promise. It's a little bit uh, sad that I had to admit to doing that, but that's what I had to do. And likewise here, Abram, to keep waiting, God tells him to wander around and take in the promised land. And recognise this is what God has in store. And I just think this is a really helpful reminder. The more we appreciate the future God has in store, the more we can accept missing out now. It is so important. It's so important if you're a Christian. If your trust is in Jesus every now and again, I don't know what you do in your daily routine, in your weekly routine, just to remind yourself of how good heaven will be of opening God has promised us, of a world that is made right, where there is more than enough, a world where relationships work, where we don't go through this brokenness of experience now where there's conflict in family and difficulty with good friends who break up with us. There's so much heartache, and God wants to bring that to me. It's worth saving that promise. And can I say, if you don't know Jesus, is also important for you to do. You have to make a decision to change your life, to, to, to take away your trust from everything you've known, and to trust Jesus to look after you, trust his death for you. You really want to have something worthwhile to grab hold of to make that decision and the thing on offer is heaven. It's the reality that the rest of the world is facing judgment, but there is this good reality in store. If you're weighing up whether to be a Christian, take some time to savour the promise. Appreciate what God has in store. This is the first lesson for Abram, it's the first lesson for Israel, it's for us as well. God's promise is enough because he promises abundant prosperity. But also, God promises abundant security. Now, uh, you get to chapter 14, and everything that Felicity experience it's just overwhelming, isn't it? The, the names, the number of the names, the level of detail. Why do I care? Like, I don't even know where these places are, let alone the, who this... So what do you do with that sort of uh, passage? How do you read it? My suggestion is, every now and again, if you get an Old Testament passage, that's a bit overwhelming, like that, just step back and just ask yourself, what's the impact? How am I affected by this passage? And in this case, I think what all it is, it's simply, it's showing me, rather than telling me, something about Kedileioma. Something about this king that comes in. You have this sort of chain of destruction as he brings his armies in and just city after city after city falls. And then it's four kings against five, but it's with the four, who's the victor. he's he's tough. There's no, no king to be messed with. And, and don't think medieval kings, uh, just to clarify, it's not, this isn't sort of castles and towers. This is a tribal leader. He's a village chief. But still, of all the village chiefs in, in that time and place, you didn't fight Kedalaoma. Which makes 13 to 16, verses 13 to 16, really impressive because Abram defeats Kitalaoma. Abram may be a nomad up until now. Maybe we haven't appreciated just how powerful he is. But because of God's blessing, he has treaties with the right people. He's got these neighbours who come and fight with him. He's got a dedicated fighting force, 318 men. Now, apparently, in that time of place, in order to sustain one fighting person in your tribe, you actually need needed five support this to work the land, to prepare the food, to to do all the knitting and farm, whatever it even takes, just to supply one person who's a a trained fighter. Abram manages to sustain 300 men. God has been blessing him. But but, but why? Why do we know it's God? It's by the the punchline of the story. You get down the end and twice we're told he's only this powerful because of He's only become this powerful because of God. So yet in verses 18 to 20 from the mouths of Melchizedek, God has blessed Abram, that's why he won the battle. And then we see it in the negative in verses 21 to 24, where Abram says, Look, I cannot accept anything from you, Sodom. I can't remember accept any of the uh, the booty from this uh, raiding party, because then you might think it's coming from you that I'm this prosperous, but it's only from God is the reason that Israel is secure. God is the reason he can defeat the aliens. God's promise is enough. Simple message me, isn't it? And it was the message that Israel needed to hear. Because it's a nation of subsistence farmers. They lived at the whim of the weather. They feared drought. They had neighbouring powers that would regularly come in and attack and raid them. They needed to be reminded that God's promises are enough. Don't God keeps saying to them, across their history, don't look to the prosperity of your land, look to me. Don't look to the neighbours for strength, look to me. And yet Israel, time and again, they fail to do it, don't they? So in times of drought, they don't trust God. They go and pray to Baal and to the asteroids When the the other nations, Babylon and Assyria, are threatening, they make treaties with Syria and with Egypt. It's easy to say that God's promises are enough. It's much harder to live with, isn't it? So in the end, what you find in the history of Israel, there's only one Israelite who ever gets this message right, And that's Jesus. And you can pick any number of examples in his life, but just, just remember what happens at Jesus in the desert. He's being tempted by Satan. How does he deal with it? Satan points to a bunch of rocks and says, Look, you could turn these to bread. Aren't you hungry? Are you sure you don't have enough? And God's response
1: a man doesn't live
0: by bread alone. He lives by the words, the promises of God. It's the promises of God that are enough for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Satan offers him to rule the world, but, but he will choose the path of insecurity. He will go to the cross. He will be humiliated. Why? Hebrews 12 tells us, it was for the joy set before him. Jesus had a clear vision for the promises that God had made. He knew what was ahead, and so he endured the cross despising the shame. God's promises were enough for Jesus. And it's through Jesus then that this story can finally reach us. Because with Jesus, what God did was he upsized the promises. It wasn't just the the regular value meal, he went for the mega large. (laughs) We have so much more to look forward to than Abraham, don't we? Not just this strip of land, an entire world made perfect a world that's prosperous, a world that's secure, more so than even God's promises enough for us. So let me just finish by thinking about a couple of ways that we need to express that. A couple of concrete thoughts uh, about what it looks like to live like God's promises enough. Uh, One thing I think it makes us is wary of the world's support. Just thinking about what happened in the story, Abram had to make that decision not to accept the spoils from Sodom. And likewise for us, if God is our hope, we've got to be careful about looking for security elsewhere. I, I find this is a, a large part of a, a heart issue for me. Uh, it's just that where do I have those moments sitting on the deck at home, um, sitting with my family? When do I have those moments I think, yes, I've got this? And what am I looking at at that moment? Is it the size of my house? The fact I've paid off the mortgage, or I'm nearly there? Is it the size of my super? My real security is God and His promises. Just got to keep reminding myself: I have this eternal future that cannot be put in jeopardy, no matter what happens to me here and me. I am secure because of Jesus. I, I think it's important. Also in terms of us as a church, uh, uh, just as Christians in our society, I recently did my tax, I made you do too, but for me particularly it's a reminder that the government is generous to us To us, as far as Christian ministry, there's all sorts of tax concessions they give us, um, they make it easy, we have access to schools, we're able to be in school. Uh, these things depend on the, the generosity of our government. Now, it's great that we have them. Praise God, let's make good use of them. But let's not put our confidence in them. Let's recognise that there might come a time when, to keep running churches, we can't rely on these things. And God will need to be enough. That, that We might have to give up some of our taxa- taxation benefits. We might be prevented from having access to, to government resources because we don't agree with the society on particular views about, um, you know, uh, equality and uh, rights. When that day comes, we will need to act like God is enough. Like his promises are sufficient and he will take care of us. So we need to be wary of external support. The other thing I think this does is just make us indifferent to money. And I deliberately say indifferent to money because it's not here a question of being wealthy or not wealthy, is it? Abram actually has an awful lot of stuff. It's just that it's his confidence isn't in that. I'm reminded of a friend of mine who was a stockbroker, really good stockbroker. Um, but he was able to give that all up because he, he wanted to see refugees know Jesus. And so he went and got involved in the Christian ministry. It's that confidence to be indifferent to money. And that's actually, I'm saying that against a whole lot of Christian teaching that says that, that money matters. Um, so, you know, if you go to Kurong, you'll have all these books that say your best life now is available. Um, I got given two years ago, I got given for Christmas by another pastor, a book that says, God wants you to be rich. That was the title of the book. I confess I haven't even unwrapped it. Because it's the wrong understanding. Our confidence is not in money and wealth. It's in God's promises. So that plays itself out in, uh, I've known a high-flying executive willing to to pay to come back once a week, he, would, he was in America for most of a period of time, he would fly back to Australia in order to run a Christian explain course, because he cared about that that much. And you might say, well, he's got the money for it. Yeah, you've got the money for it, but I can think of other ways to spend it. <laughs> There's a man who has his vision set on God's promises. Equally, the family just doesn't have much at all. I, I, you know, have friends and they, they do it tough financially, but they still make time for church. They still want their friends to know Jesus and they use their lives that way. Because God's promises are enough for them. It's about being indifferent to you them. Know? Because, you know, we live in this world where we're told that there's never enough, that there is something more that we need to want. The heart, work that we need to keep doing is to say, no, God has made his promises and they are more than Heavenly Father, please do keep teaching us what it is to live in the contentment of your promises. Thanks so much that uh, you're giving us a story in Abram and showing how you took care of him. Thank you that there are people here today who can testify to the way that you provided everything that they needed at the right time. But Heavenly Father, even if we were to go through periods of real need and lack, Your promises are enough. We do so look forward to heaven. We thank you for the promise of a new creation, a world better than the one that we live in now, perfected with friendships and relationships we really can enjoy without fear. Set our hearts on those things. Enable us to live looking forward to those promises and to hold appropriately the things you give us now. We ask in Jesus' name. Fantastic. I will be rejoiced.